This is the second week of Advent, and what we're going to talk about here is uh, it's important for us to understand what the nature of Advent is. It's so easy for us with Advent to rush all the way to Christmas, right? That last song was great. You know, Savior's here, Emmanuel, God with us, but Advent doesn't let you rush. See, Advent is a season of waiting. And what's so hard about Advent is that Advent is not like anything else in our lives right now. We don't have room in our lives for anything that makes us what? Wait. Oh, we hate waiting, right? Um, my son Liam, he, he's the middle child. And if you guys have not met Liam, you are missing out. He is full of energy and life. One thing he's not full of is patience, right? And so he's very famous for... If he wants something, he used to come ask me for it. He used to come to me, da-da, nimi-nimi-a-nima, you know, and I'd be like, yeah, just wait, son. <laughs> now, that works with my oldest child. He will stand there and stare at me. Now? <laughs> now, Dad? Liam learned very young that waiting on Dad doesn't always pay off, right? So what he learned to do was he learned to bypass that question altogether. So if he wants something, he's going to go get it. So what I always find is my smaller child hanging from the fridge with his legs hanging out as he pulls things that he wants, because he's realized that waiting is overrated. <laughs> and what happens is, you know, it's a lesson that everyone in this room, uh, you know, we've all learned. There's a place in our lives where we went from having to wait for our parents to buy us presents, and then we had the ability to go get them for ourselves, Right? Uh, I think I was maybe 16 or 17, and I finally had a job, and I had the ability to go buy whatever it was I wanted for myself. And I remember thinking that was just the greatest thing in the entire world. Hey, if I want it, what am I going to do? I'm going to buy it. And you guys do what? Dave Ramsey fans out there, you guys like, no, 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 no. <laughs> yes, yes. And you guys have money, right? But we don't, but that's okay, right? But... Not having to rely on anyone is a very beautiful thing for us. And what we've learned is we've learned ways to cut out having to rely, having to wait on anyone or anything. And of course, the way that we've done that is we've found ways to get what we want on our own. Now with Advent, what Advent does is it forces us to acknowledge the things in our lives which are missing. The things in our lives which are missing, which we cannot fix on our own. Uh, the things that we cannot bypass God for, the things that we can't kind of rush to the store and, 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 and buy, the, the things that we can't do a quick fix on them, right? And what happens in life is in the areas in our lives where we can't force our will, we can't have our way instantly, these are the areas where we have the most struggle in our lives. For example, what? Marriage. Who's married? Do you get what you want when you want it? If the answer is yes, you have a very bad marriage. Let me just tell you right now. <laughs> we'll do counseling sessions this week for you guys if that's you, okay? How about children? Do you get what you want from your kids when you want it? If the answer is yes, I want you to come meet with me after service, right? Uh, that's very impressive. And so in all these areas of our lives where we do not have control, these are places in our lives where we deal with the most frustration, the most pain, the most anger. It's also places where we find ourselves the most busy trying to manipulate 
things, trying to make what we want happen, happen. But Advent, beautifully, it causes us to sit in this place where we cannot do that any longer. Now, with Advent, it's also around this idea, this idea of hope. And see, with hope, the only reason that someone in this room needs hope is because there's something that you need. You do not hope for things that you what? Already have, right? Okay, so I'm married. I don't hope for a spouse anymore. Makes sense? There was a time when it was a big hope in my life to get married, and then I got married, and it's been great. <laughs> I'm messing with the joke. Come on. You guys got to wake up with me because if we're not having fun now, we're about to get a little bit more uncomfortable as we move on. And everyone goes, okay, so now we are going to be quiet, right? And so what happens again is we only hope in areas that we have need. And we only have need because we cannot get it on our own. Because the truth is, again, if we could get up on the shelf and reach it, if we could buy it, if we could fix it, if we can make it happen, then why do we need hope? And when you have to hope for something, you have to do something else. You have to wait on it. And waiting is something that most of us are just very uncomfortable with. Let's do an experiment here. Three seconds. How did that feel? A little awkward, right? Don't you feel something just pulling at you? Like, look like your skin just starts to crawl. You're like, we should be going somewhere, right? Something should be happening. We are wasting time. Waiting is fundamentally not comfortable, not enjoyable. Uh, when you go to a restaurant and you have to sit there in line and wait, it's just... We went somewhere last night. We pull up in the parking lot and, you know, see all the people, and instantly we go, do you want to go somewhere else? Why? Because waiting is terrible, right? But waiting is so healthy for us. Because even those three seconds, okay, we're all sitting there just being very awkward, trying not to look at anyone else, just in silence, right? And you just feel it. You just feel this just push on you, like, Things are not right unless something is happening. And see, it's this place of waiting that Advent wants to lead us. Because what happens in waiting is there's all those thoughts and feelings that we can avoid if we stay busy. But when you get in the quiet, when you get alone, when you get bored even, there's a place where your thoughts begin to creep up on you. The emotions and the ideas, the pain, the frustrations, which you found a way to bury down deep, they start to climb back up to the top. If you had to go to a store right now and say the pharmacy after church, and you're waiting on your medicine. You sit down because you don't know anyone in the room. What's the first thing that you will do when you sit down? Pull out your phone. Why? What's so afraid? What are we so afraid of if we sat down and just sat with our thoughts? How many of you take time 
each week to just sit by yourself for five minutes. Now, I'm not saying this is super normal if you do this, okay? I'm just, I'm just asking, okay? And no one's going to admit it. Wow, you guys are healthy, by the way. Again, what's scary about waiting is that it gets very difficult to lie to ourselves when we're alone, when it's quiet, and when there's no distractions. Truth has a way of sneaking up on us in those moments. And waiting is so painful because waiting means that we need something. And we hate that idea. Advent is such a weird thing for, uh, for most of us because most of us have, have learned a very good form of Christianity. But the bad side of what we've learned is we've learned that Jesus came to make life better. And it came to help us not have to have pain anymore or fear anymore or darkness anymore or loss anymore. And so we learn how to just find a way to avoid every area in our lives that things are not good. If there's actually an issue in our marriage, we learn to just kind of smile through it. If we're actually worried about our children, we find a way to just kind of just keep it down deep and not let that fear creep to the top. If we're stressing about finances, we find a way to to run away from the fear by staying busy, by working harder, trying harder. We're not very good at allowing fear or need or pain to sit with us. But here's what happens for us. It's in this space, if we allow ourselves to learn to wait in pain and loss and frustration and fear, there's something that takes place in the waiting. If you guys have your, have, have your Bibles uh, or your iPhones or anything else, the primary text this morning, Isaiah 25, verse 1. Isaiah 25, verse 1. I'm just going to start with it. Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you and praise your name, for in perfect faithfulness you have done wonderful things, things planned long ago. You have made the city a heap of rubble, the fortified town a ruin, the foreigner stronghold a city no more. It will never be rebuilt. Therefore, strong people will honor you. Cities of ruthless nations will fear you. You've been a refuge for the poor, a refuge for the needy in their distress, a shelter from the storm and a shade from the heat. For the the breath of the ruthless is like a storm driving against a wall and like the heat of the desert. You silence the uproar of foreigners as heat is reduced by the shadow of a cloud. So the song of the, the ruthless is stilled. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all the peoples, a banquet of aged wine the best meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. And in that day, they will say, surely this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him and let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. Now, that verse sounds really great. Here's the problem with it. That verse is a prophecy, meaning it's a verse written 
about future events as if they've already happened. The problem is this. For the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah, if you want to be correct, his people around him had the opposite of every one of the things he just prophesied. He is talking about this place and this time when God is going to make all things right, but before he does that, he has to to explain everything that's not right. The problem is that the people are not free. The problem is that God has not shown up like a cloud to relieve the heat. The problem is that the heat is scorching them right now. They are oppressed. They are slaves. They are poor. They are beaten. They are hungry. They are needy. They have been left alone. They have been abandoned. And yet, here's a prophet telling them everything that's going to happen. This prophecy is about the Messiah. The Jews today still proclaim this prophecy as they wait for the Messiah. As we believe that Jesus was the answer to this prophecy. And see, for us, it's so easy to read that as if it's, you know, it all sounds so happy and, and, and so glorious and, and, you know, smiles and amens everywhere, right? That's not what the prophecy is. It's people who can't hope anymore. It's people who have waited 100 years, 200 years, 300 years, lifetime after lifetime, waiting with nothing happening. We're not talking about waiting for a new car or waiting for God to give us our job. We're talking about waiting for us to stop being slaves, that are hoping that our children won't be born into being a slave. I mean, think about that. It's so hard for us to even touch this story because it's so far away from us. This is pain in a way that few of us know it. But there's something that comes with it. A people who know pain, a people who know fear and death and sickness and illness, a people who know these things, they know what it means to hope. And see, Advent, we're taking notes. Here's what Advent is. In Advent, we look to the way that the Jews waited on the Messiah. And in the way that they waited for the Messiah, we wait for his return. In the way the Jews waited for the Messiah, we wait for his second coming. Here's the problem, though. Most of us have no idea why we need him to return. Most of, most of us believe that, oh, you know, we're waiting for the Messiah to come back because, you know, things will be better, right? And, but in our minds, it's kind of this kind of a cloudy, hazy, well, when he comes back, we're all going to heaven or something. I mean, most of us have no idea what it even really means for him to return. So if I don't really have a clear image of why it matters for him to return, why does it matter to wait for him? The problem is most of us have grown up in a form of Christianity that was very strong and had great value in lots of things, but the one problem was it taught us we already had everything we needed, and we don't. Which is why most of you, when you really encounter Pain, loss, death, cancer, rape, abuse. You lose a child. When you really hit pain, you don't know how to react. Because you've been taught that in Jesus we have everything already. But the truth is we have everything in Jesus, but we don't have all of Jesus already. 
The reason that we wait for His return is because there are things He's going to do when He returns that He will not do yet. The reason that we stir our expectation, the reason that that we need Advent is we need time to restore our hope. Who's actually been in a situation where uh, had a loved one who was sick, maybe a spouse or a parent, a child? When that, when that person that you love is sick and you feel powerless, you can't fix it, you can't write a check, you can't you know, work harder, there's no solution. You, know, you, you can try to pray and trust and fast, but there's a point in there where you feel powerless. And again, no one's ever taught you what to do with that. And what we have to understand is this. Part of what it means to trust in the resurrection, part of what it means to be a Christian, to trust God, is knowing what it means to sit in the middle of death and pain and fear and injustice and wait for Him there. So what happens in Advent is, it's important for us to understand this, it's hard to value anything if you haven't experienced the opposite. For example, if you were born into money, right, you don't value money the way that someone who's never had money would. <laughs> Amen. Okay. If you were born a Razorback fan, you value winning more than a, a Tide fan, right? Tony, we don't like you, wherever you are. If you've had perfect health for yourself and your children, you don't know what it's like to have a sick child. To value health. If you've always had your, your, your spouse with you or your parents with you and you haven't lost them yet, you don't know what it's like to value time with them. Right? Yes. In Advent, it's supposed to lead us to this place to where we begin to hope because we know what it is to despair. We begin to value joy because we know what sadness is like. We begin to hold tight to light because we know what darkness is. We celebrate life because we know how real death is. Most of us with Advent season, we skip right to Christmas. Advent is just about Jesus being born. That's not what this season is about. This season is about forcing us to sit down and acknowledge what life in this world is without Him. What your life is like without Him. What this city and your family in this world is without Him. It's, it's death, it's poverty, it's pain, it's hurt, it's fear, it's hatred. It's ugly and nasty and it's not right. But most of us have found a way to ignore this. Now, um, on Facebook, do you guys see those really cheesy kind of ads that pop up? And it's like, you know, would you adopt this sad dog? Yes, like, you know, you guys seen it, and this dog looks like it's been beaten. It's just, take me home. I mean, right, I mean, yes, anyone? What do you do? Fast, right? Not looking at that. How about the news article about Oakland? 40 people dead. What do you do? 
right? Amen to you. We find a way to just swipe right past pain. Now, some of you guys are just kind of uh, the opposite, and you just love to hurt with people, but that's, that's cool too. Most of us avoid it. Do you have that friend who always calls you and just the world is just falling down? Chicken little friend? Do you guys have that person? And you hate when they call you? Oh, God. I was having a good day and now it's going to be an hour and a half of how God just abandoned and hates this person and every single day something is awful, right? Come on, everyone be honest. If they're sitting next to you, just don't look. We just want to move right past pain because pain is uncomfortable. And again, we don't know what to do with it. Now, some of us are Mr. Fix-its, okay? Miss Fix-its, whatever, okay? If we see a problem that we can actually change, oh, we'll jump right in there. And your family hates you for it, right? <laughs> just let them go, quit. <laughs> but we hate when we find those problems that we can't fix. See, I learned this um, as a youth pastor with these kids who just came from families and backgrounds, which I didn't, you know, understand. Drugs and broken homes and abuse. And realizing that my sermons couldn't fix it. Realizing that I could pray, but the odds are I wasn't going to see change tomorrow morning. Realizing that I could do all these things for them, and the odds were that it really wasn't going to make all the difference. I couldn't just fix it. Didn't know what to do with that. And what I learned with those kids was that what they needed was not me to fix everything, but for me to be willing to be with them in it. But that didn't seem like a Jesus thing to me. You know, I was like, well, we're supposed to just, you know, pray it away, have faith for it to go away, something, right? What's the value of being with someone when they're hurting? If you guys have your Bibles, go to Romans 8, verse 22. This kind of reemphasizes the main point we're making already, but again, I just want you to see it in the Scriptures. Romans 8, 22. Uh, well, let's just skip on to 23. The, con- the context here, again, is talking about the sons of God to be revealed, and uh, he's even talking about how the entire world, all of creation, uh, is in child pain, in labor, waiting for the sons of God to be revealed, waiting for hope to be revealed in the followers of Jesus. Uh, Verse 23, not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it. Do you see it right there in the passage? But if we hope for something we don't have, because that's real hope. Like that's, that's true hope, hoping for something you can't put your hands on yet. But if you truly have that hope, you will do something for it. You'll begin to wait for it. So when it comes to waiting, you know, the question is, so what is waiting? Or, you know, how do we do this thing called waiting? If you guys are taking notes, here's the first thing. It's important for us to understand what we're waiting for, okay? And again, simply put, 
which is important for notes. Hope requires need, and waiting requires hope. That's what it's all based upon. And again, as long as we have a need, as long as we're willing to acknowledge need, now we're willing to hope for it, and now we're willing to wait for it. Here's the thing again. Most of us, most of you truly, are not... The need for hoping in God to you is not real yet. Because you don't really need Him for anything. Now, some of us are the exception. But what happens in waiting, in stillness, if we would just slow down enough, all of a sudden, all the real needs of our lives start to kind of creep up on us. How is my marriage really? How is my walk with the Lord really? How are my kids really? Am I actually fulfilled in life really? Do I miss my parents who are gone? Do, I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And it allows us to realize that we still need Jesus. Yes, He was born in the manger. Yes, that's a terrific thing for us. But if you allow honesty to creep up on you, you realize you want Him more now. It's great that He was in the manger, but I need Him now. The problem for most of us, the reason that we are not pursuing, trusting, praying, you know, extending faith for God is because we don't even really believe we need Him. And we, it's not that we truly don't believe that we need Him. It's that we're so busy. Is that we're so good at distracting ourselves, at staying busy, at numbing our, our pain, at, at overlooking the problems in life, at shoving down those bad emotions and thoughts that we've found a way to just survive. To trick ourselves into believing that we have everything we need. I could use a raise and a vacation, but other than that, we're pretty good. That's a lie. And it's in slowing down that honesty catches you. So what happens with waiting is this. Here's the first um, form of waiting. It's called personal waiting. In personal waiting, we honestly acknowledge the darkness and pain which is in our lives. Everyone in this room has it. Every one of us has a place in our lives where we have experienced pain, hurt, questions, fear, anger, angst. There is places in our lives where we are lonely and we need help. But it's only in waiting that we're able to acknowledge it. And what happens here is very simple, okay? Waiting is how we don't ignore the ugly, which is in our lives. But instead, we do something else. In waiting, we choose not to swipe past it. In waiting, we choose not to walk past it. Here's an analogy for you. Um, who has kind of a drunk, uh, drunk drawer? That's bad. A junk drawer. You might have that too, okay? It's okay. Who has a junk drawer or room or shed, and you just, like all the junk, you throw it and you close the door so you don't see it, right? 
when we first got our house, we didn't have any children, so like we used like all the rooms for that. We just kept the doors closed. And so like, you know, the problem was as the kids were born, oh no, we gotta clean this room out. No, no, gotta clean this room out. And so like the best part of having a tiny house and three kids is that we can't hide from anything. It all just jumps out the closet every day. You're like, you're like that's terrifying. But we love to just throw it in a room and close the door. Shove it in the drawer and just keep it out of sight. That's what we do. Emotions, thoughts, hurts, pains, angers, questions, issues. We just put it out of sight so we can keep going. And what happens here in waiting is we are willing to open that drawer. It's, it, it, it's not walking past the room anymore. It's opening the door, dragging a chair in, and sitting down. Oh, no. And letting it seep in. That's what waiting does for us. Here's a second time of, of, of waiting. Sacrificial waiting. Here, we wait for the needs of another. This is very powerful for us. This is what the Scriptures mean when it says for us to weep with those who weep. We're waiting not for something we need. We're waiting for something someone else needs. One of the hardest things for me to learn um, as a pastor, Pastor Larry um, would take me to the hospital with him to see people. And, you know, we have some really good stories of, of, of some people who were healed and some amazing things that happened. But that happens maybe once out of every 50. The hardest thing to do is to walk in the room and to see people who are crying and hurting and sad and just and to acknowledge the fact that you don't have any answers that are going to fix it. There's no sermon or prayer even or, or anything. There's nothing you can do in the moment to fix it. It's a very selfish thing sometimes too because sometimes you want to fix it so it doesn't bother you anymore. You ever gotten to someone else's car, it's just a mess? You just want to clean it for them because it bothers you? Pastor Zach's car is always like that. That's okay. You can pray for him. You get in his car like this and things start moving, right? It's sacrificial waiting because it's not about us anymore. It's sacrificial because we are waiting for someone else to get what they need, but it's also sacrificial because we're willing to make ourselves uncomfortable in the process. You know, when you're sacrificially waiting with someone, when you're being a neighbor, when you're, when you're being a Christian, when you're following Jesus, when you're truly willing to be with someone, it's so uncomfortable, so frustrating, scary even. Because again, in that moment, you can't just swipe past their pain. You can't just look the other way. You can't pull out your phone and, you know. Just like being at a funeral, you know. Most of us go to a funeral because, you know, you know, we're supposed to show concern. But the entire time we're there, we're trying to protect our, our emotions and minds so we don't really get afraid of death. So, so we don't really start crying the way the family's crying. And we just try to be there without being there. Right? But that's not what this is. In sacrificial waiting, we are trying to be there the way that they are there. Trying to fully let it all sink in. 
And it's painful that way. Because what happens is this. Most of us are willing to extend five minutes of a conversation, to extend a check, to extend, you know, to offer to do something for them. But few of us are willing to extend our time, our heart, and our lives for someone. Especially when there's no hope. Do you hear me? Are you willing to extend your time, your heart, and your life to someone? Even knowing that it might not even make it better at all. Just being there with someone. Here's a third kind of waiting. Communal waiting. Here we collectively wait for the common evil, injustice, and pain of the world to be removed. This is the kind of waiting Advent is. Advent causes us to acknowledge that here in the U.S. we might not be worried about um, you know, having our children abducted or you know, going hungry tomorrow or you know, dying of AIDS. But it causes us to understand that even though life might be pretty good for us, it's not for other people. It causes us to acknowledge that this world is not good. Things are not A-OK. And that even though things might be okay for me, it causes us to get to the same place where the Jews were as they waited for the Messiah. Even though things were great for the Romans, things weren't so great for the Jews. Even though things are great for us, things might not be so great in Syria. And it causes us to be uncomfortable and to put ourselves in a place to where we acknowledge things are not right and I have to be willing to feel it. Because if I don't feel it, I don't know the need for change. Yeah, you know, Jesus coming back, great. But if your child was abducted, you know, stolen, raped, if your child has cancer, if you are poor, you know, if you can't find food for tomorrow, you're saying, Jesus, come back now. And this is the uncomfortable tension that Advent wants to lead us into. Now, here's the part that I find. If you guys have your Bibles, go to John 11. I want to I teach a verse that most of us have probably never really saw value in, but I want to teach this for a second. The context, of course, is uh, Jesus' ministry has already started. He is already well known for his supernatural power. He's regarded as a prophet. Uh, most people believe he, uh, he's Elijah, actually. And, and so everyone knows that he can do supernatural things. He's done so many of them to the point where he is now being, being watched, he's being followed, and he, he has enemies. And so now his actions are very important. The context kind of leading up to this, uh, he finds out that uh, his friend has passed away, Lazarus. He, he hears about the news, and he, you know, he tells his disciples that they're going to head that way to go make a, a change in the situation. His disciples uh, question him because they're worried that if he goes back there to the city he's already been in, and if he goes back and he does something so dramatic as resurrecting a body, okay, that he's probably going to be arrested. So they don't understand why he's doing this. And so as, as he heads back... Go to verse 32. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus This has always been kind of a trivial pursuit kind of a verse, right? Like, 
What's the shortest verse in the Bible? And everyone says, Jesus wept, right? Like, why is it even the Bible? We don't know, right? What in the world is the one person in the world who can change anything doing crying? Why waste a second crying? What good does that do for anyone or anything? Here's the person who's on the scene who has the ability to change the circumstance. And he's already told, he told his disciples already when they headed this way, he said it three or four times already, he's already told them why he's coming. He's coming because he's going to restore life back to Lazarus. In the bigger picture, it's also a picture of, of what he's going to accomplish in his kingdom. The resurrection of bodies, if you would. And we'll talk about that at Easter, right? But he is... He already knows what he's coming to do. He's the one person in the world who can do it. I mean, why cry about something you can change? Have you ever had food in front of you and just be like, I'm so hungry, and just, not, like, just chose not to eat it? <laughs> okay. Silence. Okay. <laughs> Apparently, I'm the only one who cries over food. It's okay. Why is he crying? What's the value there? Verse 36, then the Jews said this, see how he loved him. See, the witness of Jesus is not just about power. It's not just about you know, change or life or the things he can offer us. It's about how he feels towards us. Who he is, his nature the way he sees things. And I, and I was always so confused about the verses where every time he would talk about the way that his followers, his movement would be understood, he always talked about love. I never understood that. And see, there's something that showing our love for someone does that's far more powerful than showing power. Jesus could have healed him from a distance. Early in the Scriptures, um, I think in Matthew, we see that someone else died. And so what he does is he actually sends the word through the person. He's healed, head back and find out. Why do you even have to travel four days to get there? Why does it matter that he wanted to get close? That he wanted to be in the moment? He wanted to be surrounded by people who were hurting and sad and scared. Why does it even matter? And again, this takes us back to the very nature of Advent, of Christmas. It's not just a baby being born. It's a God choosing not to save us from afar. He's not limited, okay? I know most of us have been taught some different doctrines on this, okay? But He didn't have to come near to save us. He didn't have to live a life to save us. If it's all about His blood being shed, then He could have been born as a baby and sacrificed as a baby. What's the point? Why live the life? Why walk in our shoes? Why experience hunger and pain and fatigue and death? This is what the heart of Christian Christianity should be. This is the heart of Advent, of the Incarnation. This is what is at the heart of what it means to be a witness for Christ. It means to embody who He is 
and how he feels towards others. So many of us are willing to write the check, you know, to, to get, you know, to get our hands dirty and to work. One of the things that we all need to learn to be comfortable with is to be willing to kind of pull up a chair in darkness. And sit down for a while. Not do anything, not say anything, not even pray anything, but just to be there. And it starts with us. It starts with us being willing to be still and to be present with the Lord in our own pain. The moment that you learn how to share your pain with God, it becomes much easier to share the pain of others. And the moment that you begin to feel pain in your life and pain around you, it's not hard to understand the pain of people far from you. The news article, the you know, CNN you know, short clip on Facebook, it's not, it, it, it's not so easy to swipe past anymore. All of a sudden it touches you, it, it, it affects you. What's even harder about it for most of us is you still might not even have the ability to make a change. You really don't have much ability to go to Syria to change the situation right now. There's not much you can really do. But it doesn't change what we're called to do. We are called to sit in darkness with people. Sounds really exciting. See, the way I pictured it was, I would learn the Scriptures, I would learn the prayers, I would learn, you know, all the special things to do to fix things for people. And then I would just be this great little hero just going around fixing everyone's problems. All you need is 15 minutes of me. <laughs> Have mercy, right? Then I realized what it's really about, right? Being willing to be in the problem with them. It's not so much that we're called to walk into everyone's darkness and to, to rescue them out of it, if you would. It starts with us being willing to sit with them in it. To pull up a chair, to sit down, and to feel it. Most of you who've experienced real pain before, you understand what I'm talking about. When you've really experienced pain, when you really are lost, you have no understanding what's up or down. You have no idea what tomorrow could possibly look like for you. And in those moments, the last thing you want is someone to come in and say anything. You don't want an answer or you know, some kind of reasoning or some Bible verse. What you want is someone who genuinely cares and who genuinely knows to be quiet. Because you don't want to be alone in those moments. But you definitely understand the value in those moments of just being there. And it's in that place that, that it reminds us and it reminds them that the answer, that the hope is not us. That the hope truly is in what we are waiting for. It's not just our salvation, you know, that we're going to heaven somewhere and fly off, you know, into space with Jesus. It's that He's going to return and make everything right. For everyone who's lost a child, that child is not lost when He returns. For everyone who's died of cancer, when He returns, there will be no cancer. For everyone who knows what it, you know, what it is to be hungry, to be poor, to, you know, to not be able to provide, that won't be a concern. 
for any of you who've experienced war, who understand what war actually is. It's not beautiful. It's not glorious. It's terrible. It's awful. It haunts you still. And when he returns, there's no place for war anymore. And there's still people here, even this morning, you know, you have trouble sleeping every single night because when you lay down, that's when you cannot escape those feelings and those thoughts. And when he returns, there's no more fear. This is why we slow down. This is why we force ourselves to wait and to linger and to let the stuff come to the top because it, it leads us not into deeper fear or pain or darkness. If we allow ourselves to acknowledge it, it leads us right to the solution. It allows us to, to sit ourselves in the place of waiting on God. Not trying to, to work it away or drink it away. Even pray it away. And again, prayer is crucial. Scriptures are crucial. You know, faith is crucial. But understand this. Waiting centers our hope in the only place it needs to be. Amen? Would you guys stand with me this morning?